Hello everyone and welcome to the House of Lotus podcast, a platform dedicated to spiritual research and development. This podcast is meant to throw a little bit of light onto the path of each one of us and hopefully assist each of our listeners to take their own next step. With good intentions and one eye always on our truth, please remain open to what lies ahead. From my heart to yours, and from my mind to yours, may our spirit show us the way. On this episode, we will speak about mediumship, the process by which a person acts as an intermediary between our physical world and the higher ones. Such practice, depending on the way it is carried out and the awareness and capacities involved, may be from healing and elucidating to irresponsible and harmful for both practitioners and participants. I hope that what I will share today will give some understanding to those who look for such mediums as well as guidance to the practitioners. Let us then examine the processes involved and the effects each one can produce. Please take a deep breath Relax and enjoy. Throughout human history, we have always endeavored to see beyond the veils of this world and come in contact with spirit and the dimensions beyond the physical aspect of the cosmos. This tendency is like an instinct, an inner knowingness, that there is something more than the dense level of appearances, an urge that guides our path even when we remain unaware of it. As incarnate consciousness, our path through myriads of lifetimes is to embody the soul and carry it out in all its glory. This is the natural course of our development, to turn within to realize our spiritual nature and thereafter rediscover the spiritual constitution of the all. Depending on the collective evolution of humanity, as well as our personal development, we may get glimpses from beyond the veil, of which there are many, or even lift some of them altogether, and experience or receive impressions from the higher dimensions. On our path to spiritual development, There are many things involved, mechanics and processes at work that we need to be aware of. And it is these processes that we will talk about today. This episode is directed both towards the practitioners, those who have lifted some of the veils, and those who, in our need to come in contact with spiritual realms, or even out of mere curiosity, search for those who have in the hope to get a glimpse of the unknown, a confirmation of its existence, comfort or guidance for the future. Such people, therefore, may act like a medium for us, in the general sense of the world. A medium is that person who acts as an intermediary between the physical world and the higher ones. Such a practice may take a vast array of directions. One medium may try to communicate with the souls that have passed over from this world. Another may take upon him to talk on behalf of entities from the higher dimensions. 
and others may try to predict the future. The capacities needed for each one are very specific, but because of the current collective evolution of humanity, the mechanics of the cosmos and the processes that must take place are only partially perceived and understood even less. So for today, let's talk of these processes and the effects they might have on the practitioner and the mere witness or recipient of such practice. For the purposes of this episode, I will distinguish the mediumship practices in the three aforementioned categories and expand on each one separately. Contacting the dead, speaking on behalf of higher entities, and predicting the future. First, let's examine the process by which one may contact the dead. As we have expanded upon on episodes 21 and 22 on incarnation and the afterlife respectively, death is for the soul a mere change in the state of consciousness or aspect of life that the consciousness experiences. The soul being sparked into existence from the fire of spirit, descends into the worlds of form and clothes itself with matter from all dimensions until it reaches the lowest one and adds to itself the physical matter as well. As a consciousness incarnates in the physical world then, the soul has already clothed itself in matter from the preceding dimensions, the astral, mental, and the higher spiritual ones. When time comes for a physical lifetime to end, the soul gradually withdraws from manifestation and the experiences of the physical body and takes its path back to its source. To do so, the soul takes some time in each dimension it goes through and stays there to work on the issues accumulated by the personality before physical death to heal and develop them as much as possible before shedding away another body. To come in contact with a departed soul then, we would need not only have conscious access to the higher planes, but be able to locate her in the appropriate realm and accurately translate in our brain the impressions we get in that realm. However, even if we do develop to that extent, we shouldn't, and most of the times couldn't, disturb the departed while they undergo their own healing in the higher realms. During that time, the consciousness is guarded by entities of light, in my tradition called angels, that protect her from many outer disturbances, for it is the time that the consciousness must use to nurture itself and heal the dense experiences of its lifetime. Now, it's true that the consciousness might not go through these processes immediately and instead stay connected to our world through the astral dimension, the emotional realm that is closest to ours. And it is somewhat true that it may do so because of unfinished business. But while we have sensationalized this phrase, the unfinished business, through stories and drama, such condition is torment for the soul. Having unfinished business 
means having attachments to this world, either of worry, anger or addiction, that keep the soul from releasing itself from suffering and move on. Keep in mind that a consciousness that leaves the body is not automatically refined. It does not become wiser, kinder or enlightened. The personality shaped in a lifetime carries onward, for it is already shaped in the astral and mental worlds as well, through the correspondences of the emotional and mental bodies with the chakras and those dimensions. The departed then merely loses its physical body, not his emotions, not his beliefs and his habits. It is through these aspects of the personality that he will have to work through before reaching the higher spiritual planes. If a consciousness remains unaware of its issues, it may live in a condition very similar to our dreams, unknowingly repeating the patterns of the personality in scenarios projected around him until it becomes conscious of them and their illusionary nature and wake up to the continuation of life through the spiritual self. Thankfully, because of the entities of light I mentioned before, as well as certain energies that have been activated in our era, less and less people get afflicted by such condition, and the average person will move on unhindered. So, to come back to the subject matter, what aspect of the departed does the medium come in contact with? Well, most often than not, none of them. If the consciousness is indeed close to our world, stuck in the astral dimension, it would mean that it is not conscious enough of its state to be able to communicate with us. Instead, it is rather preoccupied, experiencing his afflictions in a projected dream that becomes its life, until it realizes it, wakes up, and moves higher in the dimensions. An exception to this is during the first days following its passing away, when the angel guides of the consciousness may try to make it aware of its state by helping it to witness its funeral. A consciousness who had developed spiritually in its incarnation may indeed become aware of its state and be open to some kind of contact during this time. When the soul goes through the different dimensions, either directly or having been stuck for a while, as we said before, it is guarded from outside interferences. Such arrangement serves the soul greatly. Think of it like going to a therapist. If instead of focusing on ourselves to become conscious of our inner processes, we keep answering phone calls and communicate with others, we become distracted, dealing with others' thoughts and emotions. But when we are truly in a safe place, calm and silent, we can turn within and gradually examine and go through what we may for our own highest good. What are most mediums contacting then? In most cases, our own emotions and the image of the departed created in our aura through our feelings and thoughts, as well as our attachment to them. Or their own version of the departed, an image again informed by our feelings and thoughts. 
The confusion here lies in the fact that the dimensions the departed will occupy beyond the physical is first the astral and then the mental one. Contact then would take place through the emotional and mental bodies of the medium, the same bodies through which the medium may perceive our own emotions and thoughts, and it takes a great amount of practice and capacities to be able to distinguish in the moment between the emotions and thoughts of the departed's friend and what would have been an impression from the actual dimensions where the departed's consciousness lays. The practitioner would need to stay detached as an observer of his own emotional and mental bodies to realize where those impressions come from and then translate them in his brain to comprehend them as accurately as he can. Even worse, a practitioner may come in contact with the remnants of the departed's energy that still linger in our world independently from the consciousness that produced them. When we die, our physical body dissolves. In the same manner, certain aspects of the etheric body that keep the different bodies of the consciousness interconnected needs to dissolve as well. If that body doesn't disintegrate, it becomes an empty shell that may carry with it remnants of emotional and mental energy that remind of the departed, like an abandoned car may still have some of its owner's personal belongings in it. This empty shell is a rotting thing and contacting it can be quite unhealthy. It is this kind of energy that practitioners of black magic may try to use. What can help disintegrate faster this empty shell is fire, the flame of a candle, or fresh flowers. Thankfully, these are elements used in most funerary traditions around the world. Contacting the dead, then, is not as simple nor as straightforward as many make it out to be. It is not a case of receiving impressions or not. Rather, it requires the necessary capacities to distinguish where those impressions come from. Now, there is a way to get a glimpse of the departed's journey. If one is able to transfer her consciousness so high in the realms that she can then face back down, she may be able to see where the consciousness rests. At such a level, she may be able to come in contact with the highest aspect of the departed. But that aspect is almost pure spirit and is therefore almost detached or indifferent to the condition of its lower self, because at that level the consciousness is immersed in its spiritual attributes, understanding that existence is but a playground, an opportunity for development. This is not an easy task. Not many people incarnated in our era have developed such capacity. What one may do then, if one has developed at least enough to be able to contact the angels that guide the soul through the realms, is to try and ask one of them about the state of the departed. In all cases, this only serves us, not the departed. If we feel that we have unfinished business with the departed, 
we can deal with it within us. Accept, understand, forgive and let go of the issue. Working with the issue internally and releasing the energies of any situation we may still hold about them can also help them by transmuting the emotional or mental energy of the situation that may still affect them. And we can rest assured that the departed will surely find his way steadily and gradually through the realms, guided by angels and the light of his own spirit, for such is the nature and processes of the cosmos, and in that we can find great comfort. Many of the principles touched upon so far regarding coming in contact with the dead apply in similar ways to contacting or channeling other entities. During the last decades, connecting to other entities, angels and ascended masters has been increasingly available to humankind. This is because of our collective evolution and the cosmic cycle that our Earth has entered reflecting such development. Knowledge and techniques have been more accessible and our bodies themselves are better equipped to register impressions from different realms, capacities that were once unthinkable for lay people and were instead reserved for the few mystics that devoted their lives to such endeavors. Access to such knowledge and attributes, however, even during our present evolutionary stage, does not come in absolutes. It's not something that we either can or cannot do. It all comes in stages, in steps. It depends on our own personal development that will gradually be reflected in our spiritual development as well. Registering impressions from beyond the physical realm, for example, does not mean that we can translate them correctly in our brains. Nor does it mean that all impressions are what we think they are. As I mentioned before, for most people, getting impressions from the astral realm will be experienced the same way as getting impressions from the emotional bodies of other people, or even our own. And slowly gaining access to the astral realm does not mean we also have access to the mental one or the higher spiritual dimensions. As we explained in episode 18 on the seven dimensions, the cosmos is not separated in just the physical and the spiritual realms. There are many worlds in between them, themselves distinguished even further into sublevels. Each accommodates certain qualities and attributes, and each will facilitate certain experiences for our consciousness. Coming in contact with beings, therefore, entities that reside in the higher worlds, needs great care on our behalf. We must first and foremost be ourselves accustomed to the sensations each dimension gives and develop our mechanism through the chakras to register those impressions as clearly as possible. This will allow us to be conscious of the entity's nature, whether it's a being of the astral world, the mental, or the spiritual ones. For example, a lot of confusion 
rises from the fact that the astral plane, the one closest to the physical one, which is also of emotional nature, is the one we, as humans, are most accustomed to. The experience of it is of emotional nature, mostly subconscious. Because of that, impressions from it may feel more intense to us, more real in a sense, and easier to register than, let's say, an impression from the refined and abstract spiritual planes. Knowing the entity's origin will inform us of how much we should learn, rely, or believe what it says, and even if we should come in contact with it at all. There is no real reason to consult entities of the astral plane. These come from the world of subjectivity, a world that is malleable by nature and is concerned with personal experience instead of objective truth. Such entities are usually malign, deceptive and destructive in their guidance, desiring the continuation and expansion of their existence by making our energy resonate with theirs. I have encountered many such entities that usually appear to practitioners or believers as gods of mythology. Mythology itself was meant to symbolize certain cosmic processes, but because of the inability to correctly comprehend them, uninitiated humans have personified them and worshipped the processes as gods. So, many of the astral entities are either entities that take such appearance or forms created by our own astral energy and have no kind of consciousness in themselves. One of their usual tendencies is also the request for exclusivity. They will begin by pushing impressions on us, helping us have experiences from beyond the physical world, and thereafter gradually try to register in us their superiority over other entities, to finally get us to stop working with others and only give our energy to them. Again, what is the trap here is that because they are from the astral dimension, the one closest to us and of the emotional nature which we are mostly accustomed to as humans, such experiences may be very intense and therefore feel so real to us that it makes it easier for them to convince us. Let me give you a few examples. When I was younger, I used to meet with a group of people who studied the energies of angels. At some point, the guide of the group came across certain entities that presented themselves as the Greek Olympians and indeed started helping her have intense experiences. After a while, they instructed her to abandon the studies of archangels because they were no longer relevant and instead convinced the group to give all their attention to them. First and foremost, the archangels, the Elohims, Tian Chohans, or whatever other name they may be called by certain traditions, are direct emanations of the Absolute, vessels of certain attributes, and collectively the embodiment of the All. They can never be irrelevant. It would be like saying that matter or cells are no longer relevant for the existence of the human body. What happened next is that they slowly guided her into confusion, 
convincing her that her illusions were real as she began to obsess over everything they told her. Another example is a guy I used to know. He was well on his path, coming in contact with indeed entities from the higher spiritual realms. But at some point, certain issues from his childhood acted up. It was time for him to heal. Instead, he strongly refused to accept even their existence, and they ended up clouding his perception so much that he began confusing the angels with entities from the astral dimensions. He slowly acted upon their guidance, and, reflecting their energy, he started taking advantage of people, as well as pushing away everyone who could threaten his delusion. In the end, his so-called angels, the supposed beings of pure love, truth and kindness, asked him to kill someone throwing him into a psychosis. This is one of the reasons I insist and keep saying throughout our episodes that spiritual development begins with turning within by becoming aware of how we tend to function in the world with kindness and acceptance to slowly heal and refine ourselves. When we accept who we are, Our issues and tendencies will build a rapport with reality and our perception will be rooted in truth instead of scenarios of fantasy constructed by our own subconsciousness and projections of our emotions. So, please, keep turning within, be honest with yourselves and treat what you find with kindness and acceptance. The examples I have given you may sound extreme, but how our issues may blind us to reality and replace the light with entities from the astral dimension can be a subtle and gradual process. Before moving on to the third category of mediums, having talked about the importance of discerning the kind of beings we come in contact with, I would also like to draw your attention to the ways certain practitioners or entities choose to carry out that contact. Contact takes place energetically by communication through our energy bodies with the corresponding bodies of the entity. Our astral body, for example, will come in contact with an astral entity through the astral dimension, as our mental body can contact the mental energy through the mental dimension, and so on. But contact must be that contact. Our energy bodies touch the energies of the entities and we can share their will and words in the physical world by translating those impressions in our brains. Our capacity to do so with precision will depend on the state of our chakras and therefore the condition of the corresponding bodies as well as the physical body and brain. We have talked extensively on such correspondences in our episodes on the chakras. Now, what should never take place and no pure higher entity will ask of us is to open up our bodies for the entity to inhabit them. There is great difference between communicating with the ascended masters or angels, having their energies connect with ours, 
and allowing strange entities to infiltrate our bodies and energy system. Sadly, I have seen many mediums do that, allowing other entities to come inside their bodies under the pretense of truly opening up to spirit. Doing so means that the energies that make up that entity come within them, mixing with the energies of the practitioner. And it might look impressive. In some occasions, I have seen people's appearance change, their posture and structure of their face change as they talk in a different voice. Such performances were met with excitement and applause by the people present, but they would be disgusted if they saw what kind of energies they invited into their own. The practitioner's energy bodies were littered with energies that looked more like parasites or a bad infection rather than the light of spirit's wisdom flowing through them. Keep in mind that no real higher entity would ask of the practitioner to do this. First of all, it would be torment for a spiritual entity to enter a body that is not refined to the highest of degrees. And a person who is so developed that her physical and higher bodies are so refined that could accommodate a truly spiritual being has no need for it because she could just as easily bring within her body and carry out through her personality her own soul and live as a god on earth, already having the wisdom she would receive from others. The third and last aspect of mediumship we will focus on today is predicting the future. As we've mentioned again and again, our lives and the life of the cosmos is comprised of many levels, all of them interconnected. The physical world is a manifestation of the archetypes emanating from spirit, but for it to manifest, it must first exist in the astral and mental worlds, which precede the densest world of physical matter. This applies to everything, from our bodies to certain ideas and events that take place in our lives. For any of it to manifest, it will first need to exist in the astral and mental worlds, depending on whether the condition of those worlds can encompass such existence. Think of what we have talked about on our episodes on the chakras. An imbalanced psychological nature cannot facilitate a healthy body. Our emotions, thoughts and behavior affect our emotional and mental bodies, which in their turn reflect their condition on our physical bodies through the chakras' correspondences. So, whatever our soul may want us to do or experience, its appearance in our lives will depend on whether our personality, our physical, emotional and mental planes can facilitate such experience or at least part of it. Our psychological nature then precedes the physical one and acts like a gatekeeper to what the future may bring to us. But in our path there are tendencies, currents of energy, set by the soul and the law of karma 
according to the lessons and experiences the soul needs. Whether we, in our lack of awareness of the soul, can follow the highest potential as paved by our own soul will depend on the personality and the choices we make in our limited perception while in the flesh. And we may only do the best we can under each circumstances. What is it then that the medium may perceive concerning our future? The most anyone can ever see is those tendencies. Most mediums, as with trying to contact the dead, will come in contact with our emotional and mental planes and have a vision of our future mostly informed by our desires. And indeed, this might come true as a natural effect to the cause that is our desires and goals. A good medium, however, one that has access to multiple dimensions and the capacity to do so at the same time, can come in contact with our emotional and mental bodies and project what he finds through the energy currents in the astral and mental dimensions, simultaneously referencing the spiritual realms and our soul to see whether those projections lay at all in our path. This may be facilitated by the help of QR entities that have a clearer vision in those dimensions and can act as intermediaries, sharing with us what currents of force they see there. This is the most accurate way to interpret those tendencies as closely as we can. But even then, what one may see is just that, a tendency. There can never be absolute certainty. It is in a way like sensing the wind. We may sense its power and learn its direction, but we cannot always predict the places it will reach and the effects it will have there. What we need to keep in mind then is that our life, our future, is not predetermined. Our inner state, that which will determine the next step on our path, changes and develops, and with it change our experiences. This makes the effort to predict the future almost irrelevant, because what matters and what will shape our future is the present moment, becoming aware of our own desires and issues in the now, to heal and refine them, setting therefore the conditions within us for a greater future. One that is as close to our soul's intention as our personality will allow. Let us now gather all that we have talked about in this episode. Coming in contact with realms beyond the physical world is quite easy. The challenge is to develop the capacities that will enable us to discern the real from the false, what is actually there from what is a projection of our own subconsciousness, whether it is a ghost, a god, or the future. Many things exist beyond the physical world. Not all are of equal substance. What matters is to give the appropriate significance where it actually lays and we can do that 
only by turning within to work with ourselves and subsequently our spiritual capacities. And we must always assume responsibility for our lives, for what we do and say. For the mediums, this means that we must always take full responsibility for what we channel, even if none of the credit. And for those who reach out to mediums, we must always remember the potential fallacies of their practice, as well as attributing their words with the appropriate validity. Listen to their words not as a decree, but as mere advice that may or may not make sense for our own values, morality, and lives. This mindset will help us keep our power and ultimately help us see that we are the authority of our own path and development. And our development begins in the now, with every new breath, by first working on our skill for awareness, the capacity for observation, and thereby by taking care of what we find. Enfold yourselves with kindliness and acceptance along your path and be honest with yourselves for all that we find within us and subsequently understand will be one more step on our path towards the development of our personality and those mechanisms within us that enable us to live as the multidimensional beings that we truly are. So, now, focus on the present moment. This precious moment With your next inhalation and every new breath, bring your consciousness to your experience in the now, to what you find within you and all around you. Enfold yourselves with kindliness and acceptance, reassuring that whatever you find is okay. Thank you very much for listening to the House of Lotus podcast. If you have enjoyed the episode, please consider supporting the show by following, sharing it with like-minded people, or becoming a patron to join our community and enjoy extra content. You can find more about us on our website, thehouseoflotus.eu. Thank you and enjoy your present.